Hebrews 11 tonight. Hebrews 11. <clears throat> we're going to finish off where we were last week, right? Hebrews 11. And we're looking at walking in wisdom. Right? We've been looking at <clears throat> knowing wisdom. Now we're going to look at walking in wisdom. We started looking at it last week. And let me just go through real quick, and then we'll get to where we're Hebrews 11. We'll finish it off tonight. <clears throat> Our knowledge objectives were to explain the role of the Holy Spirit in your obedience to God, right? So uh, <clears throat> apart from the Holy Spirit, we're going to be failures, abysmal failures as far as obedience is God, uh, to God is concerned. And oftentimes that's what happens for, for Christians. They're depending on character or depending upon something else, and it's not there, not enough uh, form, and we end up failing. We need the Holy Spirit if we're going to be obedient. To understand that biblical obedience is not compliance with a rule, but submissive, a submissive response to a person. Right? Biblical obedience is not obeying the rules. Remember, you can't obey the rules. It's not in your nature to obey the rules. You're going to fight against the rules. But you can't obey the Spirit. And in obeying the Spirit, you actually end up obeying the rules. Let me ask you this. How do you achieve the righteousness of Christ? The answer is you don't. He achieves his righteousness in you as you obey the Holy Spirit. But the righteousness that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives is the equivalent of the Old Testament law being kept. It's not keeping the law, but it's the equivalent righteousness because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That Christ actually enables us to live righteously. That we actually live that righteousness. But the focus very often for us is on the law. And when it's on the law, we're failing. But when it's on the Spirit and we're heeding the Spirit and obeying the Spirit. And, and let me say this. It, it, it doesn't come second nature to us to obey the Spirit, obviously. Well, because we're willful people. We want to do our own thing. So <clears throat> you know, obeying the Spirit means denying your will and obeying His. But when you do that, the power is there for you to succeed and for you to be the kind of Christian you maybe only have dreamed of. But it's there when you're obeying the Spirit. Uh, understand that biblical endurance is fueled by a relationship with God. And <clears throat> you know, we can't say enough about this. You know, your relationship with God is the key to all of it. You can't live the Christian life and live an abundant life apart from your relationship with Him. That's the issue. You know, very often... <clears throat> You know, we get totally sidetracked as far as that's concerned. We feel like we can't have fun because we have to obey all these rules. And we're missing the whole point of it completely. You know, <clears throat> nobody who's entering into a marriage relationship, you know, <clears throat> is going around moping because I won't be able to date girls anymore. <clears throat> now, listen, what you're, what you're looking at here is a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes it a joy to obey. It's not a burden. It's not a, a, something that's imposed upon you. It's a joy to obey. Right? <clears throat> Explain how the, heating, the hearing and doing are the hallmarks of mature Christianity. Well, look at mature Christianity tonight. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? Uh, respond, our application objectives respond by becoming increasingly sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. Remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't shout. The Holy Spirit doesn't strong-arm you ever. What does he do? What, 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 how would you express what he does in your life, the Holy Spirit does in your life? Connor? Sorry? Purifies. Which? Purifies. Purifies. Okay, who, who else said something? Still quiet voice. Still quiet voice. 
It's a nudge. Right? <clears throat> it's just a prompting. You know, and, and if, you, if you want to be willful and walk away and do your own thing anyway, he'll let you. And the thing about it is, the more you train yourself to obey that nudge, that still small voice, the clearer it sounds. And the better your life becomes. But in order to do that, you've got to recognize, it's going to be not your will, but his will. And that's our problem, because we want our own will. We want our own way. We're, We're born that way. You know, the kids out in the, uh, out in the crash, I mean, uh, many of you work in, the, work in the crash, right, from time to time. I mean, the reason it's not fun sometimes is because everybody wants their own way. Right? <clears throat> you know, you don't have a lot out there of people saying, no, 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 you have the toy. I don't want it. It doesn't happen a lot at that stage. Now, we're supposed to grow up, though, and get to the place where we can actually put ourselves aside. Oftentimes people don't. They just learn uh, clever ways of hiding their willfulness. But when we come to the place where we're actually putting ourselves aside and obeying him, life works. Life just works. But we've got to get to that place. We've got to understand that's where it's at. And the more we listen to him, uh, the clearer his, his, his voice becomes to us. And respond by turning to God for help to obey and to endure. Now, we're going to look at this idea of enduring tonight as well. But it's not just obeying. You see, it's not just the once-off obeying, right? It's enduring. There are times when, you know, you're enduring in your obedience. When you're, when you're, when you're, when you're hanging in there, you're still going to obey anyway. And we're not good at enduring. Right? That's not something our age is kind of given to the idea of enduring. We want it now. And if it happens now, great. And if it doesn't happen now, well, forget it. I'll go and do something else. That really is the spirit of our age. So when it comes to enduring, uh, we need to learn some things, right? And then respond by reflecting Christ to others around you by your servanthood. That's another thing we're not good at. We're not good at being servants. You know, we, you know, we all want to be served, but we're, we're not good about being servants. Listen, let me, let me ask you a question, right? When you think of the olden days, when there were kings and all these people serving them, who do you think you are in that picture? <laughs> Isn't that right? We want to be the king, and everybody else is going to serve us. That's why the good old days seem so good. But do you realize that for 99% of people, the good old days were certainly not good, and they were anything but good. And you see, we're, we're not good at being servants. We're not good at embracing the idea. Our culture goes completely against the idea of embracing servanthood. What we want to do is we want to be served. All right. <clears throat> Walking in Wisdom, Session 9. The Master Discipline of Doing. Doing versus being. We need to actually uh, walk with him, depend upon him, be, and then we will be able to do. The Holy Spirit is the key player. Uh, His working in our lives and us us listening to him and allowing his power to work through us is the answer for us. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And then he goes on to list the sins of the flesh. Right? And what's the answer to it? From that verse there, what is the answer? How is it that you avoid sin in your life? How is it that you avoid the sins of the flesh? From that, now, from the verse. Walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's not a problem if you walk in the Spirit. I do understand. That's different. And, and we have an incredible capacity to hear things, read things, see things, and still to have a different idea in our heads. Yeah, how, do you, how do you not obey the sins of the flesh? Well, you just don't do them. 
You just, you, you, just, you just discipline yourself and you don't do those things. If you go about it that way, you're going to fall on your face. <clears throat> what happens is, if you walk in the Spirit, if you walk with the Spirit, if you listen to the Spirit, if you abide in Christ, they're all the same thing effectively. Right? If you do those things, then you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, you can have a real problem fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and feel like Christianity is failing when it's not. You just got it upside down. And what you're doing is you're trying to actually make something happen yourself, and you can't. And in fact, the more you focus on the sins of the flesh, the worse it gets. The more you think about, dwell dwell upon, look at, and, you know, try not to, the worse it gets. It's not about that. It's about focusing on... Him, walking in the Spirit. It's it's where your eyes are lifted to. Um, The divine help from God is called grace. Now, we looked at this. We spent time talking about this. Grace is God's supernatural enabling. Grace is God enabling me to do something that I can't do in my flesh. Now, we talked some weeks about this, about how many of you actually had something that was impossible for you to stop doing, and you got saved, and it, was, it just happened. It just, it just changed in your life. I mean, that's a glorious truth. Many people can identify with that. Right? The reality that God's grace enables us to overcome certain things in our lives. Right? Now, we've got to be depending upon grace in this thing. Now, where, where do grace and self-will come meet? They don't. Grace is God's supernatural enabling. Humility meets grace. When I'm humble and I recognize I can't do this thing, then I'm in the place for receiving grace. But I can't actually make it happen myself. I have to be in that place of humility uh, to, to receive grace, but I have to recognize that's how it happens. It doesn't happen by me doing it. It's grace that, that, that brings it about. The basic discipline of obedience. Um, Biblical obedience is not just compliance to some abstract law or rule. It is the submissive response to the person of the Holy Spirit who has revealed the will of God to us through his word. Now, we'll be catching this again in a bit, but let me ask you this. Submission. We don't like that one, do we? Now, why don't we like submission? Why don't we like that idea of submission? What's wrong with submission, anyway? It's not our will, right? And typically, when it comes to other human beings, we don't trust them to get it right. You see, we don't trust that they've actually got it right. So submission to us uh, is, you know, scary. And it's getting scarier in our day and age because, you know, authority is kind of kicked out to, kicked to the curb and everybody is doing their own thing. Right Now, when it comes to submission to the Holy Spirit, you're talking about something entirely different. You're talking about something entirely different. What you're talking about is you're talking about submitting to somebody who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows what's best for you and who loves you. And we all know this one, that when we actually do it, it works, doesn't it? I mean, some of the happiest moments in your lives have been those glorious moments of victory when you've actually submitted to the Holy Spirit, yielded to him, and he's actually done something, and you've been amazed at what he's done. 
But it's not, see, submission is not a bad thing. Somebody defined submission as this. <clears throat> submission is freedom to be all that you can be under authority. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And by the way, when it comes to human authorities too, we need to remember that the reason we're to submit to them is because God gave them their authority. That's where we're supposed to submit to them. Now, we really have a hard time with that one. And what that one does, when we reject that one, we actually <clears throat> derail ourselves. <clears throat> because we need to understand, no, God gave human authority their authority. And um, <clears throat> we're not going to park on that one tonight. But we, submission is not a negative. It's a positive. If we'll only see it that way. A love relationship is at the heart of obedience. <clears throat> what we do is... We yield to the one we love most. Now, is that fair? Okay, so who do you yield to? Yeah. Isn't that the problem? Why do we yield to ourselves? Because we love ourselves most. Why do we love ourselves most? Because we don't understand how much he loves us. Because we don't reckon, know, understand, live in the light of how much he loves us. Because it is natural... To love somebody that loves us as much as Jesus does. It's just a natural response. And we miss it. So we love ourselves. And we do, what we do is we, just, we derail ourselves so often. Instead of understanding his love for us. Understanding that if he's telling me to do it, it's the best thing. And doing it and finding it to be a blessing. <clears throat> the basic discipline of endurance. Endurance is continued obedience to God even under pressure. Right? Continued obedience to God even under pressure. Remember, in your Christian life, there's a thing called testing. Right? We can call it trials. Uh, we can call it chastening in a sense. Testing. God brings testing into your life. Now, how is God going to test you? Pardon? Put an obstacle in your way, right? Now, um, <clears throat> How is God going to grow you strong in that? How do you get great faith? Pardon? Tests. Tests, okay. But how, what's the difference between small faith and great faith? Can you believe more? Is it a muscle like a muscle? You know what I mean? You build up this muscle of faith you know, in your body and you believe more. Can you? How can you then how can you have greater faith? Pardon? Exercising it. But what would, the, what would the demonstration, what would the test of your great faith be? Trials. Trials. Here's the issue. The issue is how long you wait. Can you endure? That's the issue. That's always the issue for us. Right, we're going to look at the, the um, Hebrews 11 in a minute. But the issue is always kind of keeping us waiting. And sometimes the waiting can be short, but it's waiting to the place where it's impossible. And we're still waiting on God. Now, we're really not good at that one. Enduring is not something we, we do. In fact, to be honest with you, in 2013, enduring is a bad word, isn't it? Enduring is something you do when you have no other option. But when we look in the Bible, we find enduring is a useful tool in God's hands. In fact, it's an essential tool. Because if we're going to have our faith built, we're going to have to endure. We're going to have to hang in there. 
Okay, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, let's, for, let's just think about the life of the Lord Jesus for a moment here, right? Um, <clears throat> now, was it a fun life? Just imagine, you're God. Okay, you rule. They worship you. You never make the cup of tea. Somebody else always makes the cup of tea. Everything you want is, is, is there for you because you're God. You're in charge. You're in absolute, unequivocal control of everything. How would you like to get born in a manger? How would you like to have a toothache because you were cutting a tooth? Because remember, his gums were gums like your gums, and, <clears throat> and he had to cut teeth. How would you like to know hunger and thirst and tiredness? How would you like to know all those things? You'd avoid it with all you possibly could, wouldn't you? But he endured. I catch it there. He endured. The Bible says that he endured the cross, despising the shame. So he endured. The Bible also says this, and we, we, we won't spend time on it tonight, but, but he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Now, I honestly, I've looked at all the commentaries on it. I really don't understand how the Lord Jesus Christ learned obedience. I, it just kind of it goes over my head. But I do understand this, that I definitely need to learn obedience by the things that I suffer. I definitely need to learn endurance by the things that I suffer, and so do you. It's going to be part of life. But we're very apt to fly off the handle when something is above and beyond what we thought is too hard for us, and what we do is we can forsake Christ. You know, we go a different road because, you know, it doesn't suit us. We're not happy. And what's wrong for us is we won't endure. We won't actually sit in there like he did. Um, we'll look at that more in a, in, a, in a moment. The basic discipline of endurance. Christ-like endurance is submission to the one who loved us most. Okay, Hebrews 11. I know you're looking at Hebrews 12 there. It's Hebrews 11 that we're looking at, though, right? Now, we looked at Noah. We started looking at Abraham last week. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 8. Let's pray first. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word? Lord, we need you to open it to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. Lord, just be with us, I pray, and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All right. All of you live in a home somewhere, right? You live in a, you live in a place somewhere. 
Uh, and, um, it, you know, it's amazing. The home we live in becomes very familiar to us, very comfortable to us, and we can kind of work our lives around it, right? And Abraham has a particularly nice position because in an uncivilized day, he lives in a very civilized place. Right? Ur of the Chaldees was a civilized place. Now, civilization, we take it for granted, but civilization has tremendous bonuses that come with it. You know, you know, just imagine, you know, if there was no path for you to walk on. Just imagine if there was no shop for you to go to. Just imagine if you couldn't put on a, a switch and actually turn on the light. Just imagine if there were no schools and you had to graft everything out for yourself. That's hard. That's difficult. Civilization brings a lot of blessings and bonuses to us. Abraham left it and became a nomad living in a tent. That's not fun. I mean, nobody minds going camping on a holiday. Well, some people do, right? Uh, I read somewhere recently where um, uh, somebody said camping was a family tradition in their home, and, and somebody else said to them, yeah, it was a family tradition in everybody's home before we built houses, right? <clears throat> um, you know, uh, that's hard. But he endured. He did it. Now, he was promised a child. He's 75 years old now when he leaves. He's not going to see this baby till he's 100 years old. That's hard. 25 years of your life is a long time. Not only that, but he's going to have to wait to the point where it's impossible. Where Sarah can't have a baby anymore because she's going to be 90 years old by the time this baby's born. You know, so... All of this thing is, 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 is doing one particular thing. It's actually putting Abraham through his paces and making him endure. And what's happening is great faith is growing. Abraham's the father of faith. Great faith is growing in the time this man endures. Now, he doesn't get it all right. We don't get it all right. We don't get it all perfect. We don't hit it all. You know, we just kind of sail through and we, we, we never miss it. We make our mistakes and so on. Abraham did his. But he endured and he came through in faith. Now, that's a key lesson that we're learning here in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham hung in there when the going got tough and waited on God. And we need to understand that's what God wants of us too. All right. <clears throat> Sarah. Okay. <clears throat> and let's not read all these. We'll, we'll, we'll just look at them because we'll be all night if we read all of them. <clears throat> but Sarah waited for the baby, you know, <clears throat> until it was over. And it was over, and she knew as a woman it was over. Sarah had spent her life waiting on this baby. It was over now. But she endured. She hung in there. Again, she didn't get it all right. Uh, we have Isaac. We have Jacob. And, um, you know, we, we, we look at Jacob, right? Isaac's an interesting character because there's really not much about him as far as uh, what he endured in, in Scripture. What about Jacob, though? Uh, you know, Jacob doesn't look like somebody who endured very much, does he? And yet we find him here in Hebrews chapter 11. What's he doing here? I mean, he was a trickster. He was a supplanter. Uh, he was all those things. If you look at Jacob's life, here's what you find. You find somebody who knew God was right and wanted it. But his nature, his twisted nature, just kept getting in his way. His twisted nature just kept holding him back. 
And he has a horrible life. He has a horrible life. You can't, you can't look at Jacob's life and think, man, there's a good day. Everything, everything in Jacob's life is, is, is hard and difficult. Everything. Isn't it his own fault? It's not anybody else's fault. It's his own fault. He's constantly going his own way and wanting his own way. But look what it says there in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. You know what he's still doing at the end? He's still worshipping. He still knows God is God. He still knows that's the way, even though it's been hard. It's been difficult. The things Jacob went through would would make lesser men turn and run. But he knew there was no way around it. This, this was it. God was it. Joseph uh, exercised great faith. And again, in, in Joseph's life, it's hard to see all of it. But the reality is, you know, he was treated so horribly. For 14 years of his life, he's in slavery and then he's in prison. And he was treated so horribly by his brothers and by people along the way. But we know by the ending of the story and the fact that he's here in Hebrews 11, he endured. If he hadn't have endured, he'd have been no good. And you know what? Along the way, if Jacob had jumped ship and made it happen for himself and done his own thing, you know what? He never would have seen the end of the story. Jacob would have spent the rest of his life, or sorry, Joseph, would have spent the rest of his life complaining about the raw deal he got if he had jumped ship. But as it is, he didn't jump ship. He hung in there with God. And at the end of his life, he's able to say, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good. He endured. Not a nice word for us, but it's a key word in the Christian life. You miss great blessings when you don't endure. You miss great blessing when you don't endure. Uh, um, Moses. The parents of Moses, first of all, they, they, they hit him. They risked their lives to look after this baby. They hit him. And then Moses, when he was come of years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That would have been easy. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There's our word. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, which the Egyptians, essaying to do, were drowned. Now, listen. Why did Moses go through it all? Because he liked a hard life. Why did he go through it all? This is a key thought for us. Why did he actually go through all that he went through? Why? Because he, he chose it. He, he's not like us. We go through things, through things we're forced to go through. He actually chose this course in his life. Why? If you really catch that in your soul, then you... you You catch the drift of the Christian life. You catch really what's going on. Why did he endure? Why did he choose to endure? Pardon? He knew to be better. Okay, anybody refine that even? That's true. Anybody refine that even? God asked him to? Okay, listen. Has God asked you to do things that you haven't done? You know what? The fact that God asks us to do something should have us do it, but it doesn't. Well, He 
He believed God. Now, what did he believe about God? That God would honor him. Look at it in verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please God, please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What did Noah think every day he was building that boat? God reward me for this. He may not have felt very good that day. He may not have felt it worked, but he thought, God will reward me for this. What did Abraham keep in his heart all the years he was waiting for a baby? God can't fail. He will reward me. That, that's, that's the thought. And even when, he, even when he went down, he came up again. Back to that thought, God will reward him. Sarah the same. Jacob the same. Joseph the same. Joseph had to, God will reward me. I know he'll reward me because that's who he is. And then Moses, God's going to reward me. I know he will. Because that's who he is. He kept that in his mind. So when you're enduring, when you're going through it, you're always remembering, no, he's, he's, he's put me through my paces right now, but he will reward me. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. I will obey and it will be worth it. Right? You know, <clears throat> payday is coming. And it's a good payday when you endure. Payday is coming, and you've got to keep that in your mind. If you lose sight of that, you know, it becomes pretty grim. That's not grim. This Christian life is anything but grim. When you keep that in mind, there is a reward coming. Listen, it's not grim. It's blessed. It's wonderful. <clears throat> All right, a couple more here. By faith, the wall, Joshua, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished. Not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For they, time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and of Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They had their eye on something. They had their eye on something. And listen, none of them were disappointed. I, you know, the common practice nowadays is with news reporters is to go and ask people, of their thoughts on it. If you could go and ask these people, were they glad they endured? What would they say to a man? Now, would they say, well, you know, it was tough, but on reflection, I suppose. You know, it was kind of the better path. What are they going to say? They're going to say, it was, I'm so glad. I am so glad. In fact, they're going to say, I'm so glad, and it's his mercy that I endured. He knew best. But what I've gained is so far above what it cost me. What I've gained is wonderful by comparison to what it cost me. And that's the truth. (laughs) And we need to understand that, that, you know, God is not stringing you along, you know, and asking you to be Matt Talbot and beat your back every day with a chain so, you know, so, so so the blood flows good and free. No, he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's asking you, hang in there. I will reward you. I will make it worth your while. Now, truth is, that's a discipline our day and age knows nothing about. But as a believer, you've got to get that one in your head. 
You've got to get that one in your heart. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Which means he cannot fail to reward you. He cannot fail. Hang in there. Walk with him. Even when times get tough. Even through sickness. Even through death. Even through all kinds of... Walk with him. He will reward you. Nobody ends up at the end of the day saying, well, you know what, this is a rum deal. I could have had a lot more fun if I hadn't walked with God. Nobody ends up that. Because he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And he will reward you. He will take care of you. You will be glad uh, that you actually walked with him in it. All right, Hebrews 12, 1 1 through 3. Uh, Wherefore, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who are the cloud of witnesses? We've just t- talked about them. They witness to us from the pages of Scripture, it's worth it. They witness to us and tell us, listen, it is worth following God, it is worth walking with Him. Each one of them, in their own way, kept their faces turned towards God for fellowship, comfort, and strength during times of difficulty. They were going through difficulties on on this planet, but they were looking to him and they were saying, Lord, you're going to comfort me and you're going to strengthen me and Lord, you're going to reward me. And it's okay. I can deal with this. Now, look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's Paul saying? He's saying it's worth it. It's more than worth it. In fact, the reward, right? What we're going through now can't be compared with the reward we're going to get in the future. Now, do we get it? Do we understand? Now, listen, you can only see that through eyes of faith. When you're going through the, through the darkness and going through the struggles, you can only see that through times of faith. Listen, his reward far outweighs anything you're asked to endure here. His reward is infinitely Better than anything he asks you to endure uh, as you go through this life. That's good news. But what we've got to do is we've got to stop looking at the here and now and say, well, you know, it's all got to happen here and now. If it's not happening here and now, it's not happening. You know, listen, it's not happening here and now. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or you're not saved. There's trouble. Right? That's just the way it is. There's trouble. <clears throat> but listen, there is a reward coming. And listen, in his mercy, the reward comes in this life too. You know, it filters through in this life too. But what you're looking at is you're looking ultimately at a reward that's going to blow away any hardship you're facing right now. Anthony. Okay. <clears throat> 
Well, let me put it this way, right? You know, we, we can say that looking for the reward is mercenary, right? Now, we could say that fine, except God puts it there for us. Now, God made us. God knows us. And the reward is there for us. So we're supposed to look to the reward, right? It's not, we're not lesser beings because we look to the reward. God knows we need the reward. Now, listen, the reality is we're never going to get there apart from a love relationship with him anyway. So the two are going to go hand in hand. But no, it's not wrong for us to look to the reward. I mean, what does it say about Moses? He looked to the reward. Joseph looked to the reward. You know, <clears throat> Abraham looked to the reward. Okay, you've got to have that in your mind. You know, God knows us, made us in such a way that rewards are what we look to. You know, <clears throat> and so so it's not, it's not, you know, don't, 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 don't let's be, you know... <clears throat> So austere that we were going to do it because it's right, not because there's a reward in it. God, God, God put the reward in there because he knew you needed it. That's, that's a very human thing, though, Anthony. Right? Because what happens for us is we feel we should do it because we love him. And, you know, we should. But he put rewards in there and said, I want you to look to, to the reward. Because that's the way he made us. Okay? Let me ask you this. Do you ever try and live without hope? <laughs> no hope. You won't live long. We are, we are creatures that hope. We hope in things. Right? You know, it, it gets as silly as, you know, we hope for lunchtime, so we have a bit of lunch. <laughs> I mean, but we do. You know, we line up the, the day with things that are, that are going to happen that help us get through the day. Right? And then when you're fasting, you're really snookered because uh, <laughs> there's no hope, right? But, you know, um, hope is part of how we live. Now, here's the thing. What we're talking about here is our big hope. Right? It's the overriding hope. We're not big enough, strong enough, or man enough or woman enough to actually do it apart from the reward, the hope. And there, the love relationship between us and him is essential to it because that's where the power to endure comes from. But the reward is a huge part of it too. So don't let the enemy rob you of the reward, you know, where you're going to be good and you're going to do it anyway. Don't do it. Listen, God puts the reward. He lays the rewards out for you. He tells you to look for the rewards. Listen, that's fair enough for me. If God, God tells me to do it, I'm going to look for it. And it has a huge impact on us. You see, when Jesus went back to heaven, what did he do? He told the guys, I'll come again for you. So what do they do? They live the rest of their days looking to the skies, waiting for him to come back. And they did. They thought, any, any day now. He just didn't say when. Now, so we're looking to a day, we're looking to a reward, we're looking to that reality. Love is laced all the way through it. It's not purely mercenary, you know, I'm in this for what I can get. How much is it? It's not, it's not like that. It's he will take care of me. He will reward me. He will look after me. It will be okay. It will be fine. And, but we've got to keep that in our heads and not kind of tie ourselves down with uh, just what we're going through and just, just living life as it is. Because it's not, this, this, this is not the whole picture. This is not even half the whole picture. You know, this is, this is nothing by comparison to what we're going to enjoy. 
You know, nobody's going to go to heaven and poke around heaven and say, oh man, I'm disappointed. That, that's not going to happen. And, and the lives we live have a direct impact upon the life we live then. So understand that. So the life you live now is going to have a direct impact upon the life you have in heaven. So if, if, if see, Paul has been to heaven. He's seen heaven, right? In a vision, right? You know, Hebrews, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's seen heaven. He's been there. Right? He's, not, he's not talking the hope so language the rest of us are talking. He's actually been there. That's why he had the thorn in the flesh, because he was going to get proud because of all the revelation he'd had uh, of heaven. And having been there, he says, I reckon that the, the, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories that shall be revealed in us. So he says, listen, it is so much better you can't even compare it. It's worth it, guys. Hang in there. Right? So understand, it's not a despairing hanging in there. You know, <clears throat> you don't just despair, well, this is all I got, and I mean, I'm a Christian, and I've got to go through all this. It's not like that. I've got God's presence to help me and his love to help me as I go through it, and I've got the promise of reward at the end of it. So what I've got is, I've got the best life it's possible for you and me to have. There's, there's, there's nothing else that compares to it. And he says to us, listen, hang in there, endure, it'll be worth it. And you know what? The day we meet in heaven, you'll be looking back at it and be saying, it was worth the reward, it's fantastic. It was worth it. <laughs> right? And we will. That, that's going to happen. That kind of stuff's going to happen. You know, <clears throat> but we've got to understand, we've got to look at it from now. It's worth it. It's going to be worth it. All right. Um, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And you see, that's where your love comes in. You endure because of love, but there's a reward. But count on the reward, too. Don't, don't mess it up, right? Okay, then grown of Christianity is being a servant. Okay, so we've got to think about this one. Uh, we've got to work our way through it, right? Um, Servants are responsive to the will of others. Now, let me read you some stuff here. In fact, let me get you to read some verses for me. And by the way, when I ask you to read verses, if you, if you don't feel comfortable reading, you just pass it on to the person beside you. They can read two if it comes down to it, right? Don't ever feel pressured uh, to read a verse, right? <clears throat> Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Let me start at the back. I'll start at the back with you. Good and loud, are you? You weren't scratching your ear that time, were you? Good. Matthew 25, 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through And the word minister there is the word <clears throat> diaconus, the word servant, the word somebody who serves, all right? So here's the deal, right? <clears throat> Grown-up Christianity is when you serve. You serve God and you serve others, 
grown Christianity is when you serve. All right, um, Willie, Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12. All right, so we're talking about, again, serving. there's diaconus again, the idea of serving, the idea of running to serve uh, people. Um, Anya, would you do Mark 9.35 for us? Okay, now, how does that look against the world's philosophy? It's rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> the world's philosophy is completely different to that. Right? But God's way is to be servant of all. Now, how did he demonstrate it to us? In his son. His son came to serve. His son served. He gave himself a ransom uh, for all. Uh, Cliff, will you do John 12, verse 26? I should give you the verse ahead of time, shouldn't I? <laughs> okay. All right. So if any man serves me, Diaconus again, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. Now, let me ask you this. Where did Jesus go? To a cross. End of. Over. He died. We're to follow him. Right? And where he is, there shall we be. Now, here's what happens. I don't know where we get it from. I suppose we get it from our sin natures, right? But we want to be honored on the earth, don't we? We want people to honor us. We want people to treat us nice. We're nice people. Why don't people treat us nice? We're Christians after all. We, we, we do so much and we give so much. Why don't people treat us nice? Listen, nobody ever did more than he did. And people didn't treat him nice. And in the end, even his own forsook him. Is the servant really greater than the master? Should we really expect more? Should we really get bent out of sheep and pe- shape when people don't treat us the way the way we expect to be treated? You see, <clears throat> we've got to understand we're servants. By the way, the word for servant in the Bible, too, and slave, there's no difference. You know, a servant is not somebody, you know, who works a job nine to five. <clears throat> a servant is somebody whose will uh, is out of the picture and they're supposed to serve. Now, that's not, we don't find that in our day and age at all. that's not there for us. We react to that. We rebel against that. But when it comes to God, we're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to serve him. 
Uh, let me read you something Jim Berg says, and then we better finish here. Right? This aspect of serving is often overlooked. <clears throat> He's talking about servants being responsive to the will of another. It's often overlooked in our free-thinking democratic society. By this definition, many believers are not very good servants. They do not respond well to the will of their masters. Okay, doesn't that bug you? The will of their masters, right? <clears throat> oh, who's my master? I'm my own master, right? Uh, right but l- listen to what he's saying here. Um, they do not obey speed limits, parking restrictions, tax laws, and a host of other civil and institutional laws. They do not cheerfully submit to parents, husbands, employers, church leaders, and other authority figures in their lives. The spirit of our age preaches that if you do not like the will of your master, it's all right to ignore or defy it. Nothing is more unchristlike. A serious look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11 shows that our Lord's, uh, shows our Lord's spirit to the earthly authorities who sentenced him to death, even the death of the cross. He did it. He endured it. You see, <clears throat> we live in a day and age when <clears throat> we can talk servanthood. We can admire servanthood in the Bible. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts of servanthood, we struggle greatly with it. In fact, we don't struggle with it half the time at all. We just don't. That's just it. I don't like it. I'm not doing it. Um, <clears throat> what can you do about it? That, that's so often what actually happens. Now, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let me read these for you real quick because we want to finish, right? Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill service, uh, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Right? That's talking about earthly uh, masters that we have, right? Um, Colossians 3, 22 through 25, servants. By the way, there's a different word being used here now. It's the word doulos. It's the word slave. It's not the word diakonos that we'll be looking at. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance. For ye serve uh, the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. All right? So ultimately, and here's where we go. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate, what did he say? You could have no power except it were given to you of my Father. And what did he do? So forget you, Pilate. I'm much greater than you. You just go sling it. No, he submitted to the will of Pilate. I mean, you want to go back in the pages of Scripture and say, hang on, this picture's all wrong. No, he recognized the authority Pilate had was from the Father, and he submitted to it. By the way, do you know what that does to our, our qualms about obeying authority? It just blows every last one of them out of the way. Jesus was the good, holy, righteous, giving, loving, caring one. Pilate was the mean, <clears throat> rotten uh, Roman ruler in the picture. And Jesus recognized and obeyed his authority. By the way, that helps you so much with life. Why? Because you serve the Lord Christ. You serve him. So when it comes that you're facing off with authority, don't do it. Understand, authority has its place because God gave it and you're serving him. He's in charge of it. You say, but I don't, I don't trust them to do right. Neither do I. 
but I do trust him to do right. And he's in charge of all of, all of it because you'll spend your life fighting with authority because, <clears throat> you know, you, you don't trust authority. No, listen, Jesus didn't trust Pilate. Who would? And he knew him better than we do. But he still reckoned on his authority. Anthony. Well, appealing it's fine, right? Uh, you know, appealing it's fine. You know, that's that's part of the system. You can you can make an appeal to authority, but ultimately you you end up taking it uh, in the end, <clears throat> even after your appeal. And that, that's the thing that Christians really don't get, right? You know, if it's wrong, then we're not going to obey it. But when Christians were put to death, they knew it was wrong, but they didn't. Ca- create an insurrection. They, they obeyed it. By the way, I read a funny thing this week. There was a guy in America, and he, was, um, <clears throat> he got a fine. Uh, I think it was $300, $300 he got a fine for. And he really didn't agree with it, so he appealed it in the courts. And um, the judge wouldn't, wouldn't listen to him. It was thrown out. He had to pay his fine. So you know what he did? He went and he got $300 in pennies and <laughs> carried it into the office to pay it. You know, he had to pay it, but he wasn't going to give in. He wasn't going to yield on it. And, you know... <clears throat> What we've got to understand, folks, is that that's just a story on the side. What we've got to understand, authority is of God. And we have to operate under that. And that's not in us in our day and age. By the way, if you make servanthood, right, real Christianity, that has a direct impact upon our Christianity. The age we live in has a direct impact upon our Christianity because of the way we live. All right. There is more, but we don't got time tonight. Um, let me go through the slides with you here, right? Because I don't want to come back for a third night to this lesson. So servanthood is grown-up Christianity. Slaves who are responsive to the needs of others, uh, the attitude of others, and slaves who are responsive to the will of another, the doulos. Mark, sorry... 12, 1 through 5, and he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant and him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another and him they killed, and many others beating some and killing, uh, killing some. Now, who's he talking about there? Okay, that's God sending the prophets. They didn't want to do what they were told. So they didn't do what they were told. And ultimately, the story goes on. He sent his son. What did they do to the son? They crucified him. <clears throat> because they wouldn't serve. They, they had no intention uh, uh, of listening to his authority. Now look, the Old Testament Jews are not the end, the nth degree in wickedness. They're just us. They're just like us. Right? And, and we've got to recognize that, that that's our nature. That we, we don't like authority. We don't like doing what we're told. That, that, that doesn't come into the picture for us. All right, conclusion here. Responsiveness to the needs of others and to the will of another is the litmus test of Christ-likeness. Ouch. Right? 
By hearing and doing, we will become living advertisements of Christ's likeness. And by the way, what's the difference between you and the world if you're not a servant? How do we show a difference if we're not servants? You know, how does the world see a difference? We, listen, we want the world to hear our message. But our lives get in the way of the message. Anthony. Yes. You know, you could put in there the legitimate needs, right? You could put in there the legitimate needs, right? Because oftentimes, I mean, if you do it the way God does, God doesn't meet our needs as we see them. He meets our needs as they really are. So it's a dangerous thing for you to meet people's needs as they see them, as they demand of you, right? It's looking at really meeting real needs. And so sometimes, you know, you've, you've got to lean on the Lord to see those things at times because some things you're supposed to do and some things you're not supposed to do. Like, you know, buying drugs for somebody who's an addict, that's, that's not going to be, uh, that's meeting what they feel is their need right then, but that's not meeting their need. That's not their need at all. You're going to meet real needs. Take time to reflect. Do you listen to what God says through his word and your elders? Do you remember what God and your elders say? Do you do what God and your elders say? Do you persevere, endure in what God and your elders say? All right, that's it. But listen, we live in a day and age that does not really believe in submission and servanthood. And we've got to check our minds and our thinking on it. Listen, there's a whole host of reasons why you shouldn't submit. Practical reasons from the world. But the reality is that from God's word, he says, I'm in charge. I will honor you. You submit. And we are blessed. The most blessed times in your life and in my life are when we submit, when we yield, when we give in. Those are the the moments we walk real close to God. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being a people, Lord, who can actually walk with you and know your, your, know your hand and, and know what it is to obey you. Now, Lord, we do live in a dark day. We live in a day, Lord, when it's uh, so far from us to actually uh, obey, to yield, to submit. Lord, would you help us? Would you help each one in this room to see it and to understand? Lord, would you help the men in the men's home, Lord? Uh, to know that it's your blessed hand upon them to enable them to see and to submit and to yield. Lord, would you help all of us, Lord, as we face the laws of the land and the uh, the laws of the roads, Lord, that we would just just submit. Lord, that when we meet those guards, even those that are awkward, Lord, that we would uh, still recognize that your hand is upon the whole situation. Lord, I pray for our young people. Oh, Lord, that they might learn the blessed sweetness of submitting, of yielding uh, to their parents and their authorities. And, oh, Lord, may we be a living testimony of your greatness and your love for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.